Would you turn with me in the Scriptures? Would you turn with me in the Scriptures to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 23? Luke, chapter 23. And we're going to deal with the first of the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But before we read God's Word and before we hear the proclamation of the Word, let's go to Him in prayer. Father in heaven, as we enter into Your Word and into this Lenten season, we pray that You would give us understanding. We pray that we might see Jesus and the cross in a whole new way. And we pray, O Lord, that through this season we might be convicted of our sin, rejoice in your amazing grace, and then live lives of thanksgiving and joy because of what you have done for us. And so this morning, too, as we open the Scriptures and as we look at Jesus, we pray that we may see him, that we may be encouraged by what he did and by what he said, and that we might be filled with awe because you are wonderful, and you are holy, and you are gracious. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke 23, beginning at verse 26. We're picking it up in the middle of the story, and tonight, uh, one of the, if you deal with the questions from today, you'll be asked, perhaps as a group, to dramatically read this particular portion of Scripture, and I hope that you will Take the opportunity to do that. As they led Jesus away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women the the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. And if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, even the ruler, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. Save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and others. And us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you'll be with me in paradise. The word of the Lord. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters in Christ, there were no protests or curses on Jesus' part as the soldiers came and arrested him in the Garden of Gethsemane. There were no protests from Jesus as he stood before the Sanhedrin who accused him of blasphemy. Not a word of disgust or protest was registered by Jesus as he was shuffled on to Pilate to stand trial in a court that made a joke of justice. Of course, as we already heard this morning, the prophet Isaiah had prophesied about this, as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And so it was. Jesus did not scream out in pain or curse the soldiers as he received the 49 lashes with the whip, or as they struck him with the hand, or as they spat on him. The crown of thorns being pressed on his head did not even cause him to cry out in anger. He didn't protest as he was forced to carry the heavy cross from Jerusalem to Golgotha. He didn't protest or put up a struggle as he was stripped of all his clothes and dropped naked on a crude wooden cross. The wood, not nicely smooth wood like this, but probably so rough that there were all kinds of splinters that must have lodged themselves in Jesus' back, in Jesus' flesh. Jesus did not scream out in agony or anger as the nails think of it, not sterilized medical pins, but roughly made metal pegs were slammed through his wrists and feet into the cross beneath him. How that must have hurt. Jesus did not scream out or call for lawyers because of his mistreatment. And all throughout this whole process, Jesus never appealed his sentence, nor did he call down fire from heaven, nor did he appeal to the legions of angels that were at his command and could have snatched him from the scene just like that. The physical agony Jesus suffered, particularly during the last couple of days of his life, is beyond imagination. We wince at getting a needle, or perhaps some of us know what it feels like to step on a nail. We know how painful it can be to go to a dentist or to undergo surgery, and then we get anesthetic. Those experiences, and we can think of many more, don't or can't even match up to what Jesus suffered as he was being stretched on the cross, probably laid out on the ground. And then once he was nailed to that cross, they picked it up, and with a jolt, they dropped it into the hole. Throughout all of this, Jesus was silent. He bore the suffering, the agony, the pain. He bore the humiliation of being hung naked on a cross, not wanted by earth, not wanted by heaven. That's what a cross did. It hung somebody at put someone between heaven and earth, a symbol that there was no place for the person either here or there. He bore the shame of dying the death of a common criminal even though he was innocent. 
Crucifixion was a form of execution used by the Romans for the lowest of criminals. And Jesus was hereby considered to be worth nothing. He was expendable, of no real consequence or concern to the state. And he bore the taunts of his enemies who were delighted that finally the troublemaker of Israel was being executed. Good. They were finally rid of him. And then, as you may have noticed from the passage, they made fun of his claims of messiahship and kingship. You're Christ. What a joke. And Christ bore it all. Instead of calling out, his, calling his enemies' names because of what they were doing to him, instead of shouting that he was innocent or screaming out because of the searing pain, instead of yelling all sorts of insults at those who made fun of him, Jesus prayed. While the nails were being driven through the hands that had been involved in the ministry of mercy and through the feet of the Word made flesh, which had caused that word of the Lord to be carried to many places in Palestine. And while the cross was being dropped into his place, and while Jesus was suffering a great deal of pain and shame, he prayed for mercy for those who had accused him and those who had crucified him. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Amazing grace. You know, this prayer, considered to be the first of Jesus' seven sayings from the cross, is a word which highlights Jesus' role and task as a Savior. The first word from the cross is a word that highlights His mission on earth. That's a mission that we have heard about before, earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, where we read about the angel Gabriel, who, was, came, who came to Joseph and who comforted him by telling him that his fiancée Mary was pregnant, not from some other man, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And at that time, the angel had said that, that the son that Mary was to bear would be called Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. And now as Jesus is being cruelly treated and being executed, his love shines through, as does his purpose for coming. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The prayer is addressed to his Father in heaven. The mystery of the Trinity comes into play here. In a time of supreme suffering, pain, and sorrow, when we would perhaps be inclined to think that certainly there is no Father in heaven, Jesus prays, Father, in the midst of the insanity of the day, a miscarriage of justice, the carrying out of this execution, the satanic taunts of those around, there is one sane voice. The voice of Jesus praying, Father, there is, who else is there to appeal to in this world? Where else can one go to find real help and peace and rest? 
when nothing seems to make any sense in this world and in this life, and we are overwhelmed, it only makes sense to go to the one who is fully in control, who knows where history came from and where it's going. And so in the chaos of the moment, there is a sane voice praying, Father. I wonder how many Christians in this world under persecution or at the blade of an ISIS knife prays, Father, I suspect many. Whom does Jesus pray for? Certainly from the context of Luke 23, it's apparent that Jesus was praying for both the Roman soldiers who carried out Pilate's gruesome orders, as well as for the Jews who had rejected him, convicted him, and made sure that they would actually see this event take place. So most directly, Jesus was praying for those who were standing there under the cross as his enemies. But even beyond those standing under the cross, it's apparent from the Scriptures as a whole that Jesus' prayer is wide and all-encompassing and of all things includes the likes of you and the likes of me. But more about this in a moment. What does Jesus ask for? Forgiveness. Forgiveness from the Father for those responsible for this deed. Now that word forgive is a loaded one. And when we understand it, it only adds to our sense of awe concerning what Jesus was praying about here in our text. So what does it mean to forgive, to simply shrug one's soldier's shoulders and say, ah, forget it, it's okay, no harm done? Is forgiving forgetting and simply turning the other cheek as though what happened didn't really matter? Not really. To forgive is to act. It is something that has to be done, that has to be performed. So by the word forgive, Jesus is asking the Father to do something. He is asking that the Father not hold their sins against them, but that the Lord will all be able to also put this sin in the past as yet another one paid for by the blood of His own Son. Jesus prays that His Father would take the steps necessary to bury the hatchet, so to speak, to not bring this sin up in the future either and hold it against the perpetrators. And Jesus is also asking that his father not stew about the actions being taken place against his only son, that the Lord not dwell on it or nurse it in his mind. Don't hold it against him. Don't dwell on it. Don't nurse it. Obviously, the Lord would never be able to forget the sinfulness of the human race. Forgiving is not necessarily forgetting. The Lord always remembers because it cost him the life of his only begotten son. But forgiving is to not hold it against them anymore. And Jesus asked the Father, don't hold them against, don't hold it against them. It's an action. Father, forgive them. Quite the prayer to be prayed under these circumstances. Obviously, a prayer of grace and mercy overflowing with love. 
And with this prayer, Jesus prays that by God's grace, those who convicted and crucified him might truly repent so that they can be and will be fully pardoned. Jesus prays for time, for the history of salvation to run its proper course, which would include his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the rise and the growth of the church until the number of the elect is complete. Jesus is praying that the Lord God will not intervene with judgment right then and there, something that the Lord would be fully justified in doing. For the Savior hanging on the cross knows that if God were to unleash His righteous anger and judgment right there and then upon the perpetrators of this, the crime of all history, then the flood, which we read about in the book of Genesis, would be considered mild in comparison And Jesus also knew that his death was necessary in order for his people, in order for all those whom the Father gives to him to be saved. And he did not want to stop the process, the plan at this point, or any point in his life for that matter. He came for this precise reason, to redeem those who are lost. And so Christ asks through this prayer for room for the future, he asks the Father that history may run its proper course and that those committing this crime be given the opportunity to let the extent of their deeds sink in as well as be given the opportunity to let the Word of God, the Gospel, to penetrate their hearts and lives so that they too will seek Him as Lord and Savior. And Jesus is the one who will carry out the final judgment, but only once He has worked out His grace and mercy in human history. And so this prayer of Jesus shows so beautifully his love for his people and his keeping his promises that he's working for redemption and for world recreation. And he does that with us in mind. Think about it. When Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled, God could have crushed them right there and started all over. But he didn't. In his grace and love, he provided Jesus Christ. And then when the world became so sinful that God was sorry he ever created it, that he could have, he would have had every right to wipe the whole thing away and start anew. But he didn't. Instead, out of his love and grace and true to his promises, God saved and protected believing Noah and his family. Then at the time of Ahab or Manasseh or during the reign of some of the other wicked kings, the Lord could have just crushed his people and said, ah, forget it, they're not worth it. But out of love and out of grace, the Lord saved a remnant of his people and brought them back to the promised land. And so now again, just outside of Jerusalem, at a time of great sinfulness and rebellion, the Lord God could have been justified in sending judgment on those who carried out his crime, but it didn't that happen that way because Jesus was working hard at remaking that which had been destroyed by sin. And the Old Testament scriptures had to be fulfilled in the work of Christ and in the building of the church. And so as we hear Jesus praying, we hear him praying not only for those directly involved in his death at that particular time, 
but he is also praying for the succeeding generations who have had a hand in his execution. Yes, they have. There are many people who hold the Jews solely responsible for Jesus' death and who dislike Jews as a result, but their point of view is narrow and limited and self-righteous, incredibly self-righteous and very wrong. We just sang it. Who was the guilty? Who brought this upon thee? And then the confession, Alas, my treason Jesus hath undone thee. Twas I, Lord Jesus, I it was denied thee. I crucified thee. Jesus suffered and died for all those who believe. He bore the sins of millions, perhaps billions, a countless host, and died for the same number. And we need to realize that our sins, yours and mine, made it necessary for those nails to be slammed into the hands and into the feet of Jesus. My sins, your sins, caused the wrath of God to fall on Jesus and make him pay the penalty. Sin was and is our problem. We are responsible. God gave his son Jesus who died in our place and took our punishment. And it was your and my sin that made it necessary. But out of love and out of mercy and by grace, Jesus prayed this prayer, Father, forgive them this day, this year, this century, for the centuries to come, for all those who call upon my name. And so in his anguish, Jesus prayed for you and me. And then what's so interesting is you notice that he even gave a special reason as to why his father should forgive and not intervene with his divine judgment at that time. He gave the father a reason as to why the petition should be answered, for they do not know what they are doing. Did they really not know what they were doing? Did they really not know what was going on? Of course, in one way they did. They knew that they were executing a man but they were blind as to who that man really was whom they were executing. They were not aware of the repercussions of his death, nor were they aware of the extent of their sin which puts Jesus on the cross in the first place. Their ignorance did not excuse them from their sin. They're still responsible for their actions. Don't forget Jesus' prayer was for all the generations to come. They don't know what they are doing. We don't know what we are doing. We live, let's face it, we live much of our lives not fully comprehending that we are living contrary to the law of God. We often don't know what we are doing. We do not understand what Jesus had to suffer because of our outright rebellion and refusal to live according to the Word. And so Jesus prays a prayer for repentance, for forgiveness, for those who sin daily and who cause him to be crucified, namely you and me. And it's a prayer that our ignorance, that the world's ignorance, that the ignorance of those standing around the cross that day be turned into knowledge. 
a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know, the foot of the cross, we're going to go there a lot over the weeks to come, the foot of the cross is the best place to see what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And then don't think of that cross as a beautifully shiny, nicely uh, carved piece of wood at all. It's rough. It's a place of execution. But it's at the foot of the cross that everyone must learn to bow, to be delivered of his or her ignorance. Jesus Christ died there on that cross for you and for me and for all who believe to forgive us our sins, even to forgive us for putting him on the cross and killing him there. Father, forgive them, Jesus prayed. The season of Lent that we're entering today is is not a sad season, really. Oh, it's sad in the sense that we are reminded of our sinfulness and the lengths necessary for the forgiveness of those sins. But it's not a sad season as we contemplate that indeed the Lord did something about our state of affairs. He gave us His Son, Jesus. And the beautiful and wonderful message of the gospel is that Jesus prayed for those who put Him on the cross. And then you know what? By grace, through faith, The Father heard the prayer, and He forgave us in Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we think about the cross and think about the suffering that Jesus underwent on that cross, we stand amazed that He didn't cry out, but that He prayed He prayed for us, Father, forgive them because they are ignorant of what they're doing. Thank you, Lord, that for many of us, you've turned that ignorance into knowledge, into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and we pray that that prayer may be answered in all of our lives. And so, Lord, we pray that as we move into the Lenten season and as we consider Jesus' sayings from the cross, that we might be struck once again by the wonder and the awesomeness of this good news of Jesus Christ. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.